rainbow man, the guy with the big... How many of you were aware of him before, before this moment? How many of you had seen him in sporting events? He, he, he was called Rainbow Man, Roland Stewart, I think his name was, and, 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 and he's credited with a lot of the popularity of John 3.16. I mean, he didn't write it, but for some reason he decided that, <laughs> that, that he would write it on himself and that he would show up at every kind of sporting event ranging from football to baseball, basketball, that he would be in IndyCar and all kinds of other things with John 3.16. Um, and everybody, of course, knows that verse largely off by heart, so I'm going to give you a chance to, to say it out loud. I'm going to say the first word is for... <laughs> all right. Okay. I just, I just want to let it go because it's always fun to hear the odd begotten and the whoever and the whosoever's and stuff and just just it gives us it gives us an indication of of how how it was that you learned that but the verse is popular and the verse the verse sums up almost the whole Christian message in a very short verse so it's popular not just because of Rainbow Man um, but popular because it's a very succinct simple easy way to sum up the gospel and to preach the gospel um, just, just so you know, to sum up his story, he's, he's in jail now, um, uh, which is really astonishing um, because this man who would emblazon himself with John 3.16 one day had a vision of, I think it was the second coming happening in six days, um, and for some reason held himself up in a hotel room that involved holding a, a maid uh, captive, which was the kidnapping charge that he got. Um, and then threatening to shoot aircraft, which was one of the other two charges he got, and he got three consecutive life sentences. But true to who he was, they offered him a plea deal, um, which would have meant 12 years, which meant he would have been out, but he figured that if he'd taken a plea deal, he wouldn't have his day in court, and the absence of his day in court would have meant that he couldn't wear John 3.16 while he went to jail. Um, and so that's a, that's a really weird story. Um, uh, 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 um, but, but, but the verse is important. Because the verse is where we're going to land today as we begin to think in this Advent conspiracy theories about how we give more. And, and so if you would turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John uh, chapter 3. And, and bear in mind that the thing missing from the beginning of, of the Gospel of John are some of the other things that the other writers of the Gospels talked about. Because Matthew and Mark and Luke, in, in different ways, tell different um, aspects of the Christmas story. And some of them will speak about shepherds, yes? And some of them will speak about the angels coming to, to Mary and Joseph. Some of them will speak about, um, about John the Baptist and how, how his life begins and, and, and the wise men and Herod trying to kill this little baby and Mary and Joseph and the donkey and the trip to, to go and register in the census and the fact that there was no room for them and all those sort of things. John has none of that. John has this big cosmic gospel that says, in the beginning was the Word. So he's not starting with a, this little Christmas story. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, so he gives the Word a name. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of man that shines in the darkness. And then eventually he comes down and he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's John's nativity story. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And a little while later, um, in the Gospel of John, um, after the third day at Canaan, when Jesus turns water into the greatest wine in the whole of human history, 
And um, there comes to Jesus at night a man who is a Pharisee, uh, one of the rulers of the Jews. His name is Nicodemus. And so I'm beginning at verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, I've been watching you. I've seen something. You're clearly some kind of teacher. And, and I'd say more than that, but you're a teacher who comes from God because clearly no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And what I found interesting when I look at that is it's almost as if there's some disconnect between his question and Jesus' answer. Because he's saying, you're a teacher. How do you teach like this? Clearly, you're a teacher. And Jesus doesn't say, yes, I am, and yes, I come from God, and that's the reason I do these things. He goes deep. Because Jesus says to him, the very first thing I says is, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What kind of answer is that? I did ask you how I could be born again and what born again means, which is where Nicodemus' mind begins to go. Because he's saying, I just want to know about the teaching. What, how, how do you teach like you teach? He says, you must be born again. And he goes further than saying, you must be born again. Because Nicodemus is like, what? So I've got to get back in my mother's stomach somehow and be reborn. And Jesus says, no. Um, what is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit, which doesn't clear up the mother and the womb thing, sort of, other than saying that it's nothing to do with what you've just said. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. And Jesus speaks about the wind. The wind blows where it goes and goes where it wants to go, and no one understands where it comes from and goes, and it's like that with those born of the Spirit. And Jesus comes down in verse 13 of chapter 3 and says, let me tell you the real stuff. Actually, back up one, one verse. If I've, I've told you earthly things that you don't believe, if I unpack to you the real stuff, if I start speaking to you about heavenly things, how on earth are you going to grasp that if you can't grasp basics? And Jesus then gets deep. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, and he's talking about himself, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Then he speaks looking forward to his crucifixion. He says, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then comes John 3, 16, for because of God's love, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. This is the crux of the gospel. And the interesting thing is that Jesus brings a kind of clarity to Nicodemus that Nicodemus wasn't even looking for. He has a question. Jesus opens this whole thing up. And what I, what I want us to do this morning is to try and find clarity of that kind. Whatever our questions are about Christmas, whatever our questions are about this season, we've spoken about worshiping more fully and, 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 and spending less and, and how we're trying to see through this, this marred image that Christmas has become. As I was sitting there during worship, just imagine, and I wish I'd found a video like this, but just imagine that God paints this, this glorious, beautiful picture that's the most beautiful picture that's ever been made. And someone comes along and someone puts a, puts a mark on it. And, and, and over the time, the mark sort of maybe pixelates the picture so you can't see the original picture, but the pixels begin to take shape themselves. And when the pixels reshape, they reshape into another image. And so eventually, you're seeing another image and you're not seeing the image of Christmas anymore. You're seeing the image that has surreptitiously, a little bit at a time, over time, over, over history, been painted over the original image of Christmas. And so then the Christmas that we have in 20, what year are we, 19? I almost said 2020. I'm living in the new year already is not the original image. It's a different image. It's the different image that we need Jesus and the, by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning to help us 
help us see past the fog and see past the distortion and see past the distraction and realize how far off course we are. We, we spoke earlier in the early service about, about uh, an aeronautical um, um, uh, term or, 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 or way of calculating how far you are off, off, tra off track. Anybody here fly plane? Okay, one, okay, so if I get this wrong, please just forgive me. But there's a 160 rule or something like that. Is that about right? That says that if you're flying at a certain mile distance speed, that if you're a degree off, you're going to end up a mile off course. Is that accurate? Okay. So basically, because you're going so fast, the fact that you're just a degree off off your trajectory, you're going to end up a mile off where you're aiming for in a minute. And so the faster you go, the further off you get. You don't need to have a 90 degree off course. You just need a, a, a one degree off. And the fact that you're moving quickly means that you get really far off. And so I wonder that if we were trying to design a way to, to get people off course, that the first thing we would do is get them moving, and we'd get them moving quickly, because if you're moving quickly, if I can just bump you a little bit off, then you're going to go so far off. And so I wonder over the course of human history whether this is what has happened to Christmas. We're moving so fast, we're moving so quickly, and a little bit at a time, we've gone further and further and further off course. Um, are there any children in this room who still believe in Father Christmas? Yes? I had a whole thing here that you're going to have to go and do on your own. <laughs> but, but look up Odin, the Norse god. O-D-I-N. Go look him up and look at what he did that involves flying through the sky on things. And go look up Father Christmas and St. Nicholas and all these things. But I wonder how we come that the biggest image we have is not this baby born in a manger but as this guy in a red suit. How does that happen? How does the tree become more of a tradition than anything else? How do the presents we give become more of a tradition than the thought behind the presence and the intentionality between our worship in this season and the kind of things that we do? How does that happen? And I was thinking that, that I realized that when, when, when the adversary in the form of the snake comes to comes to comes to Eve in the garden, he doesn't try and throw her a whole way off course. He doesn't say, God told you not to eat from the tree, but it's fine to eat from the tree. He doesn't do that. It's a lot more subtle than that. He says, did he say that you wouldn't die? You won't surely die. In fact, it's not that. It's that when you eat from that tree, which you're going to do, because uh, I think it's a good idea and you should, that your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like God and you're going to be able to see between good and evil. And so it's not a don't turn 90 degrees, it's I'm going to pull you a degree or two degrees off course. And that two degree of course and that little bit of doubt is enough to turn Eve's mind away from the very clear thing that God said and to do the thing that God said not to do. And, and it continues the same way through history because when, when the tempter comes to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, he's not saying you're not the son of God because Jesus is never going to accept that because he knows he's the son of God. The heavens have opened at his baptism, and the Father has spoken from heaven, this is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So moments after that, he's not going to find himself in the wilderness, doubting that I'm, am, I, am, I, am I not the Son of God. It's not. Satan's temptation comes in a different way. It's that if you're the Son of God, do this with it. So it's a little turn. It's a little turn. It's not so big that we're going to reject it. It's a minor little turn. If you're the Son of God, take the stone and do something with it for yourself. So take this gift that God's given you. Take the, the truth that you are, and move it just a little bit and do this. And I wonder whether that's what's happened with Christmas over the years. 
is that there is this beautiful image of the first Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And the gospel writers sum it up in different ways, and they all get a different picture, and some of them see the baby in the manger, and John, as I said, has nothing to do with that. The word becomes flesh. This cosmic, giant thought of, the, of God becoming flesh. But the original gift, the original truth of Christmas is not about a naughty or nice condition. It's not that you get the gospel if you're naughty. You don't get the gospel if you're naughty, but you get it if you're nice. Why is that creep in there? So that we begin to associate our gift giving with, with behavior and it's conditional. That's another thing that's crept in. And so we, we teach one another that, 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 that you only get a gift if you're good. Or we go further than that. We make, I did this earlier and I did get the pen back. I gave it to someone here. I say, so I'm going to give Steve a gift of a pen and Steve's going to give me something back. Come on, come on, step it up. Bet, oh, I got a phone for a pen. All right, I think I'm done with this one. <laughs> And, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then I give, I give, I've got nothing else. I give someone my keys and, 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 and so on and so forth. No, I'm not, I'm not passing on Steve's phone, but you see how, how Christmas, Christmas is transactional. It's transactional. How many of you, when you're thinking of giving, have in mind the fact that someone's going to give you something back? Show of hands. A little show of hands. How many of you have relatives coming that you're afraid that if you don't have something for them, that they're going to be stares and looks of, all right. How many of you expect to get something back that at least matches the cost of the one you gave? You don't have to put your hands up. Or, or, or if you're lucky, you're going to give a pen and get an iPhone or whatever that was. Um, but that, that's all rolled up in Christmas somehow. But that is not God's original gift, is it? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And the only, if you want to call it a condition, because it's not a condition, because the scripture tells us it's not a work. It's not a work that we can boast in. Faith, because it says that the faith that we have to believe even comes from God himself. So if you believe that the faith that you have to believe is God's gift to you. The whole of the message of the gospel is a free gift to the world in love of something of himself. Okay. So in a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do something that you might be comfortable with or you might not be comfortable with. I'm going to ask you to turn and talk to people in your vicinity. Um, and what I want you to be thinking about is specifically how you could give more this Christmas. Specifically how you could give more like the Father gave Jesus. And to help you process that, let me just break down. I've got seven principles that I saw when I looked at this original John 3.16 summary of God's gift to the world of Jesus, the most perfect gift ever. Here's the first one of how we can give more, or give more like the Father. Firstly, the Father's gift is his DNA. He gives something that so closely resembles him that it's, it's indistinguishable. Jesus says that you see me, you see the Father. Colossians tells us that the, the, the Son is the express image of the invisible God. You can't see God, but if you've seen Jesus, you've seen him. So, so Jesus is, is, is fully and wholly representative of his Father. And so that's something about how we can give more. What we give represents us, is us in some way, that when we're not there, still our DNA, some aspect of who we are, is in that gift. 
because that's the Father's gift of Jesus. Let me give you a second one, the gift of presence, P-R-S-E-N-C-E, not with the T-S at the end. I try to say them, presence, presence. Try and say it for a sec. How do you make presence sound different than presence? Without, without, <laughs> without, can anybody do it without feeling a little weird? But you know what I'm saying. Not the presence under the tree, but the presence. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So not only God's DNA, the attributes, the characteristics, the full image, the representation of God, but God's presence. He gives himself, his presence. And Jesus, following along as his father had done before him, when he leaves, says to his disciples, it's for your good that I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to send you another like me, a counselor, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus does the same thing. He says, and I'm going to give you presence. Presence to be where? With you and in you. God with us. So two things. Somehow this giving more is, is representative of the giver, the, far, the DNA of the giver. Somehow there's more presence, less of the presence with the T. Thirdly, the gift is risky. God gives his son into a world and doesn't send him as a 2,000-foot-tall giant who's slapping down Romans, does he? How does he send his son into the world? As a little baby. Can that baby defend himself? No. And you even have this story of, of when Herod's threatening to kill all the little kids because the demonic hosts are trying to, trying to work out from the signs and work out that, that I know that a baby's going to be born and this is going to be the, the king of Israel. And so if I can find out who he is and kill him, I can, I can, I can cut this off and I can continue to be king. And so, and so it's through a dream that Joseph flees. Now, why has he got to flee if there's no risk that he can be killed? God gives his son into a risky situation, into the hands, into a world of sinful men, and eventually into the hands of sinful men. Risk comes with God's gift. And with that risk also is the possibility of rejection. You see, because God's gift to the world of, of his son, ultimately the light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't comprehend it, the darkness doesn't want it, the darkness doesn't like it, the darkness prefers its own way, the darkness prefers darkness. So God gives his gift to us of his son and we can say no. So think about that in your gift giving, risky gift giving with the potential of rejection bound up in it. Four. The gift that God gives is for the greatest need. The giving more is about thinking about what is the greatest need of, that I'm giving for. I'm giving for a need that I've seen, that I've perceived, that I've prayed about, that I've understood and, and heard expressed. And sometimes that's different than what the person actually says. Because if we were before God, um, uh, there's, there's a time when, when Solomon is... is, is, is dealing with the magnitude of what it means to be to becoming king, the king of Israel. And God says, ask for anything you want. And Solomon doesn't say, I would like a big castle or palace or, or, or a flat screen TV or whatever they did in their spare time back then, um, or, 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 or chariots or armies or lots of cash or, or all of those things or, or G.I. Joe or whatever. Or any of the things that go on the Christmas list, and mine was awful. I'm, I'm ashamed 
of this long list that I used to give my parents of, of, of things. Um, he instead asks for wisdom because he perceives this gap between this magnitude of his calling to lead God's people and the absence of, of what he knows he needs. So he asks for wisdom and God gives him the thing that he needs most and tags on with it some of the other things. But God's gift to us of Jesus is ultimately saying that our greatest need is not entertainment, is it? Otherwise, we would have been sent the world's greatest entertainer. Our greatest need is not for a smart person. Otherwise, we would have got somebody who was infinitely wise, but we did in Jesus, but not the wisdom that the world wants. Instead, our greatest need is for forgiveness from our sins and for eternal life and for life that is abundance. And so God gives us in response to his seeing with his perfect sight our need. Something of the Father, something about presence, the giving is risky, the giving meets the greatest need. Five, the giving is generous. It's costly as well. It's sacrificial for the Father and for Jesus. There's a point at which Jesus on the cross expresses the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father is giving, knowing that that's coming down the line. Jesus is is, is coming as the, as the baby, knowing that that separation from his father because of the load and the weight of the sins of the world upon him is coming. Costly, sacrificial. The book of Philippians talks about Jesus' humility also. That's another one. It's a model of humility. To humble yourself and to become as man and to walk among men, and to communicate with men, and to care for men, and to put up with men. Think how many times Jesus is like, how long must I put up with you? When are you guys going to get this thing? I've said it like 20 times. It's not about calling fire from heaven to destroy your enemies. It's not about this, Lord. It's not about that. It's not about that. Peter, get behind me. I've got to go to the cross, but you're saying, far be it from you, God, to do this. All of those things, he puts up with them, puts up with us, humbles himself to be born as a child, humbles himself to the obedience to the cross itself, And Philippians tells us that because of his humility, God raises him up to the highest place and says that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow and confess that he is who he said he was. Humility. So, And the same Philippians passage, Philippians 2 says, and let that same mind be in you. So can there be humility in your gift giving? And then giving from a motivation of love is the last one. Not of guilt or fear, or obligation, or blind panic, but love. So I'm going to ask you, I'll give you like five minutes just to turn in groups, and at the end of it, we're going to move the microphone around, and I don't know where we've got the mic, where Claire was our microphone runner earlier, um, because I just want you to share some of the ideas and thoughts you have. Um, Everybody clear what you're doing. We're trying to think how we can give more, give more like the Father gave Jesus. Something of you, more about your presence that might be risky, that is for the greatest need, that is costly, sacrificial, out of a motivation of love and is in humility. Clear enough? Five minutes in groups while we play some wonderful music, um, and then we'll come back and we'll move the microphone around and we'll hear what some of these thoughts are, and then we'll wrap up.
To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Just, just about one more minute, then we'll, then we'll get, to, we'll wrap up. Okay, um, let's, let's, let's come back together then, please, before the microphone goes around. Um, all right, everybody. <laughs> everybody, you enjoying yourself much? I think, I think we should talk more. Can anybody hear me? Thank you. We, this is basically telling me you want to talk more in, in situations on a Sunday morning rather than facing people's backs. Um, I, I was challenged with something. I was talking to, to Anna, my wife, and, and uh, I mean, presents for me. I mean, if I get on a plane to go see my mother, that's costly. And Anna's mother is in a different country. That's costly. But I don't know that anything that would surprise my mother. She's 93. You've got to be careful how you sneak into the house. Uh, <laughs> this, this days. We, we did it for her 90th birthday. Me and three sisters just turned up, and she, she's okay. Um, but, 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 but Ben's going to bring the mic round, um, and so just let's take three, four, five of these and just see any ideas you had thinking on those principles that how about this Christmas or other Christmases you might give more like the Father's gift of Jesus. So just any show of hands and, and be brave. Okay. Someone's forcing. <laughs> One of the things we talked about was that even though there is expectation um, like of, oh, you need to give this amount or whatever, that we can still take the time to think about those people in love. You know, I, uh, example, my family gift exchange, I've got someone who I know wants an Amazon gift card, so it's nice and easy, right? But, you know, rather than just throw a black box at her, 
you know, maybe take some time and, and write a short card or something and, and see her for who she is and, and show love. Okay, thank you. Any, another? Someone close? I think we can afford between each one. The, the courage. Uh-oh. Hey. Hello. <laughs> um, what we're doing this year, this year has been uh, financially trying for us. So um, what we have done is we've made a list of all the people that we would have loved to be able to give gifts and handwriting a little card, sharing with them how they have impacted our lives in a positive way this year. Um, and it's, it doesn't cost us anything, but it's definitely requires time and yeah. vulnerability. And you're, it's risky. You could definitely, it could not be received as heartfully as you're putting it out. But somebody else did share some wisdom with me recently that you can be generous in three different ways with your time, with your talents, and with your treasures. So even if you don't have money, you still have some time and you still have talents that you can be sharing with other people. And that's still definitely generosity. Thank you. Uh, another one? Furthest person away is, is, is there someone up there? Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, so our group thought about um, how God's love is, it's a type of agape love, which means unconditional love. And we thought that giving should be unconditional, how God's love is, which is to give but not expect to receive. So. Thank you. This Ben, oh, oh, right next to them, this one gentleman, Ben. We, okay. hi. Hello. <laughs> um, what we kind of implemented last year, which changed the dynamic for our Christmas, uh, was we um, just decided, because we are kind of a big family, and so the gifts seem to be always dominating that evening. We do it on Christmas Eve. Germans do that. They, the Christkindle comes on Christmas Eve. So good, the good thing is that the Germans still have the Christ child in their center, and there is no Santa Claus. Okay. But there were still these gifts. And so due to financial problems last year, yes, we just decided to change the dynamic by just drawing a name. Each one just got a name from the family, and we all just bought one gift for one person. And then that narrowed it down to eight gifts the whole evening. And we even had money or resources to gift people that really were in need. Thank you. Ben, uh, there's a gentleman over here whose hand was, I saw some, your hand was forced up and it's still being forced up. So we, 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 have, to, we have to hear what you have to say. So thinking about how you were talking um, about how far away we get just with little um, steps, you know, and so one of the things that has become a huge tradition, I guess, and uh, I don't live in the U.S. now, but uh, nonetheless, we still even do this where we are, which is in Colombia, um, because it has trickled down. And so now it's these white elephant get-togethers, right? So we give away stuff that we don't want. <laughs> and nobody wants either, you know? So thinking about how radical we could really be is instead of having a white elephant Christmas party is, is how about surveying the people around us and perhaps people in need, obviously, and what they need. And of what we receive, we give. 
right? But not the stuff that we don't want. Because that would be selfish instead of selfless. And that would be a risk because we would be risking something that we really want and then therefore maybe sacrificing a bit more of the flesh. Absolutely. Right? And, you, and you're, then, you're also risking the person who gave it to you finding out that you don't have it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, yeah, we kind of focused on that, on, on uh, giving uh, out of a risk and, of course, uh, the greatest need. Somebody might have a greater need for what you would be receiving yes. than, than yourself. So, yeah. Thank you. One, one more, and then we'll wrap up. Is there another one? If there isn't, behind you, right behind you. Behind you. So for my family, uh, this year my parents were like, okay, we don't necessarily need anything, but we would need your time to like come help us around the house. So it's just like a matter of like spending your time and just like going and like raking leaves. Or like if you know a family, like I'm young, I got some more free time on my hands, I can go babysit for a family that's in need. Or do something like that, just giving your time, helping out with whoever needs it. Yeah. Thank you. And, and so they're, they're on, on the Advent Conspiracy website, they've got a lot of other ideas um, and, and, and suggestions for each of, each of the things that we've been teaching through here on, on a Sunday morning. Um, some of their other recommendations are, if you're overwhelmed, just start small. Don't try and do this for everybody that you know, but maybe just pick one person on your list to, to try and think more relationally and less, less, about, less about the typical type of gift. Here's one that everybody can do. Turn off your cell phone. Imagine Christmas Day with zero cell phone. Now, that's going to be weird because you're not going to get messages for anybody. Um, and you're not going to be able to do one of those 700-person texts that says, Merry Christmas to everybody, and then, and, and, and then you're done. We, yeah? Uh, you, you, and you might have to dial someone on Skype or Zoom or something and actually put your face in their space, which was what we came up with in this earlier, so put your face in this space. Um, but, but maybe just during Christmas dinner, imagine that you're not doing Christmas dinner and you're checking whatever you're checking, but the phone is down and so you're genuinely present with the people that you're with. Um, invest in experiences you can share. Give someone the gift of dance lessons and go do it with them. <laughs> Cooking lessons, <laughs> camping, vacations, recipe books, photo albums, mixtapes, gentlemen. <laughs> what? Well, uh, hold on. What, when a man wants to let a lady know that he likes her and he's not doing a cassette tape of mixes, what do they do these days? A, a Spotify playlist has, takes you 30 seconds. 30 seconds. That's ridiculous. Okay, but, but something, that, something that clearly has had an investment of your time. Give, give to those who are in need with a kingdom purpose in mind. Something of yourself has been said. You can go babysit. You can do yard work. You can clean. You might be a great chef. And turning up in someone's house and saying, look, let me cook you a meal. Let me do something relational for you. Or you might be inviting people into your home and doing something relational for them. Or as I remembered thinking, travel to a relative or another thing. Send them a ticket to come be with you. The person that you're less likely to think about or something. And so I'm going to close with this extract of a few things from the Advent Conspiracy website. God is calling us to give more intentionally and relationally. That means giving more of our time, our energy, our memories, our talents, our presence, giving more of ourselves to the ones we love. The best gift celebrated relationship. Think back on the most meaningful gift you have ever received. 
Chances are that there's a story and a relationship that was connected to that gift. We seem to have drifted away from this liberating, straightforward truth. The Father gave his one and only Son. God's answer for the world's problems has never been material things. God did not give us more stuff, even good stuff. He gave us himself. The most priceless and personal gift of all. Relational giving means that we think about the other person, who they are, what they care about. We focus time on giving our undivided presence and less on the pile of presence. This takes time, effort, planning, but it's an opportunity to worship as we remind each other of the gift that was given for our sake. If we, if we can resist the trap of easy giving of gifts, reject the assumption that giving expensive gifts is the best way to express love, something else might begin to happen. Our children, family, neighbors, co-workers will watch us celebrate Christmas differently. Through our actions, they will hear and see the good news of the gospel, which is where we began. God, out of his love for us, gave us his son, a gift that began as we remember it, this time of year that we call Christmas and led to a cross where that same son giving to the world gave his life for our sin that we might have eternal life. Whatever the marring, whatever the fog, whatever the distraction. God, help us, please, we pray this Christmas to remember the truth, the magnificence, the brilliance, the extravagance, the love that you gave to us in. And that's how we come to this table. Remembering Jesus' body broken for us. Remembering his blood shed for us. And looking forward together to the day when we get to eat and drink in the kingdom that he made a way to for everyone who believes in his name. My brothers and sisters, this Christmas, let's take communion. There are four tables, one there, one there, two at the same side, or each side on the back, remembering God's gift of love to the world.